If you were here last week, we began a conversation talking about the church, not just one local church, but the church. And we talked about in Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, that this was God's plan, uh, that the church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit helps us in that reality, and we'll talk more about that later in this conversation. So much of what God does on earth now in this, in this time, in this age, is done through His church. So much of what God wants to do in our world today is done through you and I as the church, as Jesus' followers. We said last week that the gospel is the hope of the world, and if the gospel is the hope of the world, then the church is the hope of the gospel. If the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is going to be shared with our world, it's going to be the church. And if we don't do that, if we're not active in that, then then who? Who will? Who will share that truth? This is our identity. Yeah, we're EPAG, a local church expressed at this address, but we're also part of the church universal, the family of God, the body of Christ all over the world. And God had a plan of how the local church would function. Last week we talked that Christ is the head of the church. If you remember last week, we talked about how the church is owned and operated by Jesus. And because Christ is the head, we are to seek His way, His will, His plan, His agenda. And soon in this conversation we'll talk about Jesus has already given us the mission and purpose of His church. He has commanded us and commissioned us according to His plan. And He also reveals strategies of how to live these commands out in our lives and so fulfill the mission of God on earth. Now, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I encourage you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 as we talk through a little bit of what God's plan is for his church. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll pick it up in a few moments in verse 11. But before we do that, let me tell you a little bit about what Paul is saying before our verses, our text today. Paul urged in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, the believers that he was writing to, he urged them that since we've all been brought into the family of God the same way, through Jesus, through grace, through mercy, through the forgiveness of sin, Since we've all been born again, we would say, we should then live in unity of love and purpose. Ultimately, we are united in that we're all part of the same family of God. But then Paul goes far enough to say, make every effort to continue that unity, to continue that unification and and to live in peace with one another. We should recognize that God chooses, according to Ephesians 4, giftings according to His desires, and that it's great for us to function together in the plan of God. We're not in the body of Christ to grow to be jealous or envious of other people's giftings. It takes every gifting. And and your gifting may not be the same uh, as holding a microphone or wearing a microphone and preaching. It may not be teaching. It may not be even kids' ministry. You may hate kids. Maybe today is not a day of celebration for you. Maybe you're not a father, and you're like, I don't want to be a father. Like, I just don't even like those kids. They just run around and make a lot of noise, right? But at the same time, 
we shouldn't be envious on the flip side of that of, man, I wish I was like that, or my gifting is not great enough because it's not identical to someone else. And so we should recognize that ultimately God chooses the giftings and how they're placed in his family in order that we can function together in the plan of God. We're to, to be on this journey together. And, and if I can use the illustration, we're to row in the same direction together in the plan of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 is a really challenging verse of Scripture for the body of Christ to consider. It says this, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, this is in context of the family of God, the body of Christ. The idea is that we don't ever place ourselves in superiority to someone else, that we don't consider ourselves greater than others. In fact, Paul wrote in Philippians that we should consider others ahead of ourselves. But instead, Paul said we should be patient with each other. We should make allowance for each other's faults because of our love for one another. He encourages us in multiple places, really, in his writings, don't be self-focused. Don't, don't get so worked up in everything that you think is the right way. Don't take your gripes to everyone else. Don't blow up at people. Instead, Paul encouraged us by the unction of the Holy Spirit to be gracious and to be kind and to be loving and to desire unity among the body of Christ. Not uniformity, not that we're going to agree on every single thing, but unity in that we are contending for the plan of God and the plan for His church over our own selfishness. Got to tell you, I appreciate Paul's writings to the church at Ephesus. I cannot tell you the times that local church communities have split or even died because the people within them couldn't get along. And, and I'll be honest, I think that there are some people who may use the phrase that, that they've been hurt by the church a little liberally in the sense of uh, it's just kind of a common phrase that gets floated around in a lot of ways. But there are people because of the things that have happened within local church contexts that have genuinely been hurt by the church. People who said they loved Jesus and people who said they loved other people who did things that were very harmful and hateful towards others. I'm convinced today it's, it's not the attacks from the outside of the church, from the outside of the body of Christ, that ultimately would destroy the church. In the greatest persecution in Scripture, go study the book of Acts. In the greatest persecution in Scripture from opposing outside forces, the church actually blew up. It grew. It expanded. Even early on in Acts chapter 7 and 8, when Stephen is stoned as the first martyr in Scripture, and the church is receiving all of these uh, threats of persecution breathed by Saul himself, who later is going to write these very verses of Scripture, even as those threats are being breathed and it forced people to move outside of Jerusalem... In the process of that, where the enemy thought that he had won and where persecution seemed hardest, the church, the body of Christ, Jesus' followers, actually moved from their place and took the gospel with them, and more and more people were saved. It's not the forces of the outside or opposing the church that caused the issues. It's the inside issues. It's the matters of the heart that bleed into our motives and our attitudes and can destroy relationships within the body of Christ. So right off the bat, Paul says to us, be humble, be gentle, be understanding, love one another. Let me say it in a way that maybe we can understand it, kind of a summary statement. What if we 
showed the same grace to other people that we want to be shown to us. Really. Because, I mean, when we got saved, we had to grow, right? How many would say you're still growing? Okay, most of you. You know what's coming. The altar call for liars will be here in just a little bit. We, we understand that there's a process, there's a journey. We're all on this journey. We may be in different places, but it's still the grace of God and the power of God that has brought us if we are where we are today. It's because of His power. It's because of His grace. It's because of His mercy. So we want to be humble and gentle. We want to be considerate of others. We want to be considerate of next generations. We want to be considerate of people and one another and bearing one another or making allowance for each other's faults because of our love. Now, Paul goes on to write about the giftings that Christ gives his church and and how these things function and and what happens as they function the right way. Listen to verse 11. Pick up Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's take this a little bit of a chunk at the time here. Verse 11, the Bible says that Jesus gave gifts to his church, that his design is these giftings would be used to lead the church the way God intends to then fulfill his purpose. Let's walk through really quick. There's four, possibly five designations. Uh, These are often called ministerial offices. Some people refer to them as the five-fold ministry giftings. We first see listed in this passage the apostles. Now, in the New Testament, often someone who would be considered an apostle was someone on a special assignment. They were a messenger or a representative of the sender. We think about the first 12 disciples, also referred to as the apostles. And we think about people who were used of the Holy Spirit to write the Scripture. Uh, Those people, in many ways, had no later equals Uh, They were used of God to get things rolling that direction. They oversaw the growing of the church after its birth in Acts chapter 2. We also understand in our day, if there's a modern day function of apostle in the church, it's that apostles are often those who provide oversight and accountability for ministers, for churches, and generally apostleship could include those who are appointed and sent to pioneer work. So a lot of missionaries go to brand new foreign lands to start a brand new work where the church has not existed. So we do see some of this in function today for sure. Secondly, the scripture talks about prophets. And this one perhaps is heard a little more frequently in our day than maybe some of the others. 
A prophet in Scripture, hear me closely, is more really about forth-telling rather than foretelling. Let me bring some clarity. Prophets are not psychics, and they're not people who are used to give some spiritual horoscope for your future. Okay? So if you go back in the Old Testament, the office of the prophet was a lot like a spiritual policeman. And that prophet would be used of God to basically call people to accountability to remain faithful to their covenant relationship with God, especially when they were veering off the right path. So the prophet would come up, but that's, I mean, Jeremiah was referred to as the weeping prophet. It would grieve him so much that the people of God were turning away from God and doing their own things and worshiping other so-called gods. And the voice of the prophet would often be the one who would say, hey, don't you remember what you've agreed to with God? Don't you remember this covenant? Don't you remember his promises that if you will follow him, he will take care of everything? So the prophet would become this person who would be used of God to call them to remain faithful. In the New Testament, prophets were spirit-filled people that God would often use to warn or to comfort and to challenge. There, there were times in Scripture where someone who may have been used by God as a prophet would tell something about the future only as God instructed. And i got to tell you, oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament, it was a warning of the judgment to come if the people did not yield to what was being said, if the people did not follow God the way they should. What we need to understand about prophecy and a prophet serving in this capacity is that a prophet's word was not then and is not now infallible. What we mean by that is prophecy is still given by human people and that means there is potential for error. How do we determine if it's right or not? And the short version of it is it's to be evaluated, whatever's being said is to be evaluated by the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit will never lead someone to speak in opposition to the Word of God. Are you with me? The Spirit promises to guide our lives. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would guide our lives, but never in contradiction to the Word of God. Now, let me. I, I, I thought about getting a little box that said soapbox on the front of it and putting it out today and taking a step up on it before I say this next part, okay? Prophecy is kind of a buzzword right now in Christian circles. You hear a lot about prophecy, a lot about prophets, a lot about schools of prophets, a lot about prophecy conferences, all of those different things. It's uh, become more and more of a, of a habit for people to be told to prophesy on command and a lot of things throughout the, the church world are being given credit as being a word from God. Here's what I want to encourage you with. As your pastor, I want to encourage you this way. Please grow to be more wise than to listen to every voice that claims to be prophetic. Don't just take every word to heart just because it came from someone who is charismatic and it felt good. Okay? Make sure that we are living appropriately by the leading of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of Scripture to determine, is this God or is it not? And even if someone comes to us and gives us a word specifically, those are 
definite moments that God works in our lives. I think we probably, maybe a lot of us in this room have had moments where God has used someone to give us a word. Even then, don't get so caught up in trying to push through a door to make something happen. If God spoke that word over your life, He will also put all the details together to bring it to pass. You don't have to make it happen. God will orchestrate all of those things. So I just want to caution us not to get so caught up in things as quickly as maybe some are. And I'll go one step further. And my email address is chris.clevelandedepag.church. Feel free to reach out. Just to be honest, my red flag goes up immediately for any person who goes around and the first thing you hear out of their mouth is, I'm a prophet. If, if I'm honest, you don't have to announce that God uses you. People will know you by your fruit. That's what Scripture teaches us. So, in many ways, nowadays, the office of the prophet... I'll step off of my soapbox now. Uh, in many ways, the person in the office of the prophet today is helping new generations not forsake the truth. Uh, helping to keep us on that right path. Helping to be that voice that says, wait a minute. Culture may be shifting, but God's Word is still the same. The world may say that, that we can do this, that, or the other, but God still has spoken. And even though if everything else passes away, His Word is still going to remain, we need to make sure we're keeping attention on the Word. So in many ways, again, not having to be claimed to be such, but in many ways that prophetic voice or that prophetic office is at work in our day, and it's really more the people who are calling us to faithfulness to God and His Word. Okay? Third one that are that are listed in Ephesians chapter four is the office of the evangelist. Now, oftentimes, at least especially growing up, uh, I was I always heard the term "we're going to have a revival," and a revival in that that terminology meant we're going to have a series of services that start Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, however long it was going to go. Now. Hopefully, we're all uh, mature enough in our walk with Jesus to understand that true revival is not just about the services. It's a matter of the heart being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a matter of God bringing people to a place of repentance and the Holy Spirit being poured out on us to be empowered to do something to make a difference in our world, okay? So a revival maybe has... Yeah, there can be a series of services, but a revival, true revival, is going to be more about the change in the heart than it is about how many services you have in a row, okay? Um, and, and ultimately, uh, or at least when I was little, the, the terminology that was used was an evangelist would be coming to preach a revival. But in reality, evangelists, and this can be true in a series of services, but an evangelist is a person who has a lot of authority with lost people specifically, they're people who are, are spreading and talking about the message of Christ and then can also encourage the church to be attentive to the lost world. Uh, there's, a, there's a pastor who today is one of our leaders in the Assemblies of God Fellowship and he's been a district superintendent and pastor before that. And he wrote one time of a staff member that he had. And he said, you know, some of the things that he did... Uh, on staff, he, he'd kind of fumble through some of the ministry things, some of the typical ministry things, some of the ways we'd serve week to week. He said, but we could be in random places 
And he had a courage and a boldness to walk up to people and talk to them about Jesus and eternity and help to point them to making a decision to follow Christ. He said, one time we were at a conference and we'd stopped at a gasoline station to get gas in the van, the church van, all the staff are together. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, the pastor's like, I'm just pumping gas, you know. I'm not even really paying much attention. Probably at this point, truthfully, he was ready to get home. And he's pumping gas in the van and he said, all of a sudden in the van, this staff member who had this evangelistic nature about him by, from God, he said, I've got to go talk to those people. And here had come a, a crew, a car full of young people that had pulled into the parking lot and loud music and every, everything you can imagine uh, that would be uh, worldly, if you will, okay? I don't know what other term to use because anything I can say would be misinterpreted, I'm sure. But, but they pulled in and there was something inside of him, the work of the Holy Spirit saying, these, these young people need to hear about Jesus. The short version is that by the time the, the pastor had finished filling up the gas tank, this staff member who had this gifting of being an evangelist and helping with authority to the lost people and helping them to see the truth, he'd already talked to the young people. They'd all repented and were praying to accept Jesus. And he'd already gone from that carload to another van to talk to an older gentleman who was getting gas in his vehicle and help lead him to Christ. What's my point? My point is there are people who are gifted specifically with talking with the lost and, in, and preaching the gospel, if you will, and giving that opportunity for salvation. The same can be true in a church service. This same pastor talked about he, he preached a message one time and, and he gave an altar call and like two or three people responded. And here's this staff member again and he said, Pastor, I just feel like I need to, I need to say something. And he said something and here's another 10 or 15 people responding. There's this unique gifting in this. Now here's where we can, we can be challenged. Well, that is great. Those people are evangelists, and that's their gifting, and that's their authority, so they're going to do that work. Now, this doesn't let us off the hook to all be disciple-makers. Thank you for the one amen in the back corner. I appreciate it. If nothing else, maybe it'll wake someone up who's around. It, it doesn't let us off the hook. It's just simply saying that God can gift people with a unique ability to do those things and have specific conversations with those people. But that doesn't change the reality that the Holy Spirit can also equip all of us to be disciple makers in our everyday lives. Okay, you tracking with me? All right, and then the fourth, possibly five, of the offices that are listed here in Ephesians 4 are the pastors and teachers. And for the sake of conversation today, I'm just going to put them together. Uh, I do believe that there can be people who are gifted to be pastors, and then I believe there are people who can certainly be gifted to be teachers. What I'll say today is that the pastor, the person who operates as a pastor, typically can operate in some of all of these roles, to be honest with you. Uh, a pastor is going to oversee ministries and churches, sometimes other churches even, or leaders. A pastor may call people to repentance or give a word from the Lord regarding what's ahead. A pastor is going to challenge a church to have love for the lost and to take action. A pastor is going to lead people and teach them the truth of God's word. So in some ways, the pastor kind of operates in... I don't think that there is a, an appointment from God that just says, this is the only thing you're ever going to do. I think God can use us as he desires. In fact, when you read other contexts of spiritual giftings, it says the Spirit gives those giftings as he enables, as he chooses, so that we are operating in that moment the way we need to operate in order to fulfill the plan of God for what's taking place. 
But pastors often will operate in some of all of these things. Now, the simplest definition I can give you for pastor is the word shepherd. And if you've ever studied the understanding of a shepherd in Scripture, you know that it is not the highest rated job. Right? It's dirty, stinky, messy. You know why? Because the sheep are dirty, stinky, and messy. Some of y'all have already beat me to the point of what I just said. I can tell. You're already there mentally. Pastoring is shepherding. It's a God-appointed man or woman who oversees the spiritual care of a local congregation. Now, here's where these things can get unhealthy. In In our democracy, the democracy of our Western world, a pastor can be unhealthily seen as a person who's just hired to simply fulfill a profession or to do a job. But in actuality, God leads a people who are sensitive to the Holy Spirit to recognize His plan for who is to lead the church. And if the people are being led by the Holy Spirit, they will be in line with God's plan and God will bring about the right person to be the pastor of a local church. And then God gives authority to that local pastor to shepherd the people. Any pastor worth their salt, I don't know if that's a saying in Minnesota, but it's a saying for me. Any pastor that's worth their salt, any pastor who really understands what it's all about is going to seek God, and he or she's going to be led of God to preach and to lead the people, and and understanding that Scripture says that person is going to be held accountable by God for every action and decision. Not to mention, uh, at least in my case, I'm also held accountable because I have credentials with the Assemblies of God Fellowship. So there's oversight, right? The unhealthiness can come. Now, we talk about authority with the pastor. God gives the authority for them to lead. There should be somewhat of a, uh, let's call it respect, if you will, for understanding God places people to lead and to serve. But then there are unhealthy things, and we've seen some of these things play out in our world. There's an unhealthiness that comes when a pastor can be left unaccountable or unchecked. It doesn't mean a pastor should have a thumb on him or her, and I can refer to that unhealthy dynamic in a moment from experience of of being a presbyter before and leading different churches. What it does mean is that if a pastor is preaching unscriptural messages, or if a pastor's character is not in alignment with God's Word, there should be someone who is saying to that pastor, something's not right. Whether that's, whether that's a, a friend of theirs, whether that's someone who's serving on the, the deacon board, whether that's someone on staff, whether that's someone, whatever the case. If it, we're not talking about matters of preference. We're talking about unscriptural preaching or character not aligning with God's word. Now, I've served as a presbyter uh, before in years past, and I've overseen multiple churches, and so I know that there are some people who, when, when they have regard for a pastor, it's more about them being hired to do a job, and they get caught up in their preferences of dictating what happens in the church rather than allowing God to speak through that pastor and through those leaders. I can tell you, in my experience, two things make people mad with pastors the most. You ready for this? <laughs> two things... Typically, make people mad with pastors the most. Number one, he or she preaches things that are hard to hear and confront sin. In the South, we call that meddling. 
I've, I have been preaching a sermon, I cannot make this up, I have been preaching a sermon and had somebody tell me, and it was their way of saying amen, but basically it was, Pastor, you're meddling now, getting in your business. I love it when you preach through Scripture and the Holy Spirit does the work of confronting sin. I don't have to target that. I may see some things sometimes, I won't lie to you. There are times that as you care for a people, as you shepherd a people, you begin to recognize areas where God's wanting to help them grow. That's the nature of being a shepherd. But that doesn't mean that you have to take opportunity to take target practice from the pulpit. You can trust the Holy Spirit to lead in those moments. So that's number one. Number two is that he or she makes decisions that are healthiest for the church, usually through a lot of prayer and even a lot of conversation with leaders, but they do not somehow align with the timing, the desires, the opinions, or the preferences of somebody within the congregation. I'm going to give you some quick examples, just from my experience as being a presbyter before. I've had people in local churches, I've done business meetings for other churches, I've had to do all of this because of my role, and I will tell you, I've seen people get upset because the church made a change with insurance policy to have church insurance rather than just residential insurance over their property. I've seen people get upset because the church spent $600 on a VBS outreach and had plenty of money in the bank to answer your question. I've seen people get upset because they hung a screen so people could see the song lyrics to the point that it ended up there was a pastoral transition as a result. And I've seen people get upset over installing a check-in system for the safety and security of kids. And I've seen people want to vote over every little thing for every decision that ever gets made. Those are just a few. Rick DuBose, in writing uh, The Church That Works, it's a great book that he wrote several years ago. It's about 100 pages long. He said, in our way of doing business, uh, the pastor does what we want, and he or she has two years to prove himself or herself. And during the probation, if he or she preaches the way we want, sings the songs we like, lets us out when we want. Anybody checking their watch yet? (laughs) We're getting close. I'm almost landing the plane, just bear with me a minute. During the probation, if he or she preaches the way he wants, sings the way we like, lets us out when we want, shows up and prays for us when we're in the hospital, then we may vote him or her in again. We might just keep him. The truth is, when the man or woman of God is in the house, he or she is there because God sent them. He or she does not work for you. He or she works for God. When he or she speaks, it may not be what you want to hear, but it is what God wants said. When he or she leads worship, for example, he or she leads so that Jesus can be glorified, not so everyone gets to sing his or her favorite song. Here, here's the truth. And, and at, at risk of you thinking that somehow this is supposed to be a self-serving message, that's not the case. I'm simply preaching through the understanding of what God intends for his church. Because there's a part that's coming for you in just a moment. Are you ready? Okay. Let me just finish with this about the pastor. A pastor's job is not to coddle people or keep people comfortable in their sin. A pastor's job is not to make decisions based on every opinion. A pastor's job is not to be the only one trying to show care and love towards other people. And a pastor's job is not to be the only voice of God speaking into your life. This is what 
Jesus intended the church to operate like. Verse 12, he intends, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, that these who are given as gifts in the church are given a purpose to fulfill. What does he say? In, what does Paul's writing say in Ephesians 4? Their purpose, their intent from God is to, and I'll skip ahead because I'm going to come to the second part. I'm, I'm going to do this in reverse, but I know how it flows in the scripture. Okay, just hear me out. The first thing that we see in Ephesians 4 is we understand that the pastor and all of these offices that are given by Christ, these giftings, are to build up the church. So what are we talking about when we talk about build up the church? Well, let me tell you what we're not talking about. We're not talking about just simply growing numerically. Uh, I think a lot of people interpret spiritual health of a local church strictly by numbers when to me that does not tell the entire story. My question for Sundays, Wednesdays, groups, you name it, every ministry that's functioning, my questions are not, did we break every number barrier? My question is, are people growing to follow Jesus more with their lives? Are people growing to become more like Christ? Are they involved in Christ-centered community? Are people being equipped to serve the Lord in these ways? It's not just about numbers. It's great to see numbers, and I think numbers are at times fruit of effective ministry. But, but you've got to be careful because you can live and die by the numbers, and that's not a good thing. So when we talk about building up the church, we're talking about spiritual maturity. That leader is to help us all be grounded in the truth of Scripture, not tossed around by every voice out there that claims to be a voice from God, to help people to grow in spiritual maturity so they're not offended by every little thing. I can tell you're starting to check your clocks now. <laughs> spiritual maturity to the point that we can speak the truth in love and we can receive the truth in love and to live in love towards others within and outside the church and spiritual maturity to a point of being more and more like Christ. The, the ultimate, the great purpose of these giftings is so that the church, you and I, will grow up in Jesus. Yeah, that's a good thing. Because there are plenty of voices blowing like the wind. There are plenty of influences blowing like the wind. There are plenty of things that could get you set off the mark of what God has for your life. You can get caught up in all of these things. But as we grow in spiritual maturity, we're set firm in place in Christ, anchored in Him, and not given to every wind that blows. And then secondly, and this is listed first, but it's secondly what we'll talk about today. These who are giving as giftings, their responsibility, Scripture teaches, is to equip God's people to do His work. One translation says to do works of service. Another translation, and I like this one a lot, teaches that we are to be equipping, leaders are to be equipping God's people for the work of ministry. Now let me give a preface to what I'm about to say. There are those that are called to vocational ministry as pastors and teachers and missionaries and leaders in multiple different capacities. We just talked about that God gives giftings, and many of these giftings are giving their lives to serve 
all the time in these capacities. They are vocationally living these things out. But let me take the other opposite end of that spectrum for just a moment and say I think one of the biggest challenges in the church, maybe one of the greatest problems in the, the local church of anywhere, is that we've defined ministry only as a profession and only as what takes place on a platform. So what does that mean? That means, well, we hired the pastor to do the ministry. We hired the staff to do the ministry. They're the ministers. But I think we must redefine ministry and Scripture teaches that the leaders are to equip the saints, the people of God, to do and be active in that work of the ministry. Can I tell you, that's when the church exponentially makes a greater difference in the world is when the entirety of the body of Christ is actively involved in the work of God. Rick DuBose, who I referenced a moment ago, said this, a healthy, church, a healthy church is marked by unity, cooperation, and mutual submission of its members for the sake of Christ and His mission. The pastor leads and gives priority to preparing and releasing all the believers to do the work of the ministry according to their gifts. When the church works, the world wins. When the church works, people come to Christ. When the church works, lives are changed and families are transformed. The people, not just the pastor, pray. The members, not just the ministerial staff, visit and serve the needy. Each believer, not just the paid worker or ministry leader, gives a witness of Christ in attitude and action. So what if we redefine ministry to not just be a profession or not just what's done on the platform, but that ministry can actually be the work that each of us do for Jesus every day of our lives and that Jesus works through us. Now, we can serve inside the community of EPAG, and it's happening right now. There are people today who are serving on the front line to greet people as they come into our facility, people who are serving in EPAG Kids, people who will serve Wednesday night for EPAG Youth and who've been on a mission trip this last week even to Mexico with three of our students. There are people who have ushered, people serving in security, and we're getting ready to have one of the biggest opportunities we have every year in VBX, and we're going to serve. That's ministry, that smile, that high five, that interaction with a child who may have walked in the doors, who comes from a broken home and a sinful home and people and parents who don't even know Jesus. That's ministry of planting seeds and speaking to them in the love of Christ and helping them to see Jesus. That's ministry. But then we also serve in ministry every day. Well, pastor, I'm not a minister. I'm not called to ministry. I'm I'm not vocationally in ministry. Yeah, but in your marriage, you can minister. In your parenting, you can minister. In your family, you can minister. In your neighborhoods, you can minister. In your workplaces, in your conversations, and through your practical helps. Ministry is about God's love reaching people through the variety of gifts that He's given to all of us. One last quote. More than just a building and more than just a congregation of worshipers, the church is a body of Christian workers. Let that settle in our hearts. When we talk about all the work that is to be done in our own part of the world, last week we talked about our Twin Cities area. It, it can't be done by just me. And what I mean by that is not just 
my energy or efforts, ability or whatever. I'm saying it can't be because there's such a great need that it'll take more than one person. And it won't be done by even just me and the staff. It won't even be able to be completed just by me, the staff, and even the board. If we put all of us together, we can't do all the need. We can't meet all the need. God's work takes involvement from all of God's people. God's work takes involvement from all of God's people. Imagine the exponential increase in impact when all of the church, when all of the body of Christ is involved in the work of the ministry. When we go from this moment, when we go into our places of life tomorrow, and we don't view it just as let's just survive the day to get through the day so we can get back home to the comfortable couch and binge Netflix. That we're not just getting through the day, we're recognizing that every day, wherever we are, whoever we're talking to, whatever we're doing, God can use us in those moments for effective ministry to other people. Would you stand with me today all over the room? I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come and to find their place on either side of the auditorium in just a moment I'll pray over you and if you have needs today or if you have questions about what it means to be a Jesus follower if you're needing some encouragement and some strength in your life there are people who will talk with you and who will pray with you part of our series in this conversation the church that works no plan B part of all of this is about us committing ourselves to the design of God committing ourselves that we would function as part of the global church at this local church, that we would function the way God wants us to. That we would all see ourselves as all part of what God is doing and wants to do. So would you pray with me this morning? God, we commit ourselves to you, to your plan, and to your work. Lord, we recognize it was your idea for the church you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross and yes he saved us on an individual level but in saving us on an individual level he brought us into his family we are now all part of the same family through the same work of the Holy Spirit through the same salvation of Jesus Christ and now Lord as a family we want to work together to help enlarge your family to help see people grow in spiritual maturity, to go on to greater faith in the Lord, to go on to not get caught up in the reactionary moments of this world, but to stand firm in You and to be alive and well in Your mighty power, O oh God. We recognize, Lord, that You give leaders, You give these giftings, O oh God that will help lead the church, the body of Christ, even the local church level, to spiritual maturity and to be equipped to minister to other people, to love, to serve, to spread the good news of Jesus, to even disciple people along the journey. Would you help us, Lord? We are your church. We are your people. And we want your will, your plan, your desires in every way through us. We want to be actively a part of seeing so many more people come to know you and to grow in you and to become people who serve you in response as well. We want to see exponential work, Lord. 
And Father, I pray that you would bless and keep this people and you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. I pray your countenance, your favor would ever be turned in their direction and you would grant them your peace. I pray for all the fathers in this room and online today that they would have an incredible day with their family. I pray for those who maybe are, are struggling today because they've recently lost a father or maybe this is the first Father's Day without their dad. Or maybe, Lord, there are other variables that are involved, Lord, that make this day harder for some. I just pray your comfort, your peace, your joy, your power be at work. That those families who get together, Lord, will enjoy wonderful memory-making moments. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. We surrender to you and your will and your plan in Jesus' name.